0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow patriots, to the one and only conservative review podcast here on this Friday. Uh, End of the week here. We are feeling a lot better. I'm sorry I was out yesterday, got a little stomach bug uh, or flu or something like that. One of these 24-hour viruses. Truth be told, I would have powered through it. but. You know, we like to have the video component, and while I normally have a face made for uh, audio, not video, yesterday was particularly bad. I just couldn't go on camera, Um, but I am feeling a lot better. Thank you for all the well wishes. Now, obviously, we are never going to be able to catch up on missing even one day. There is just so much to talk about every day, so much we've missed, and today we are also going to have a special guest. Uh, Steve Marshall, the attorney general of this great state of Alabama in just a couple of minutes, Um, but just wanted to frame one thing of the many, many things going on. But just to frame some of what we've been talking about before we get back to criminal justice, which we'll be discussing with the attorney general. So Congress is out there. They are out for Thanksgiving, even though Thanksgiving is not for another six days, but they are they're out. Before they left, they passed another budget continuing resolution, uh, which will very coincidentally end right before Christmas. So they could have the rush and say, look, you can't ruin Christmas. And therefore, we got to pass a terrible omnibus bill. So likely this will be the last uh, stopgap bill. And they'll pass the full omnibus, which locks in the spending deal, increased spending. Of course, spending money on everything except for the border wall deportations, military at the border, and defunding sanctuary cities. What's interesting, the point I wanted to just make before we get to our guest, we'll have an article out on this, as well as a terrific in-depth article on Oklahoma's jailbreak policies and the crime rising there. The one emergency they address, so typically a continuing resolution is basically saying Look, we haven't agreed yet on a full year funding bill um, and certain policies. Let's just have it on autopilot. But typically, there are certain pressing matters that they'll put in there as spending or policy anomalies. Aside from putting these things on autopilot, here is what we're going to single out to address with either a policy change or increased spending. And the big emergency was the census. Well, the census is coming and they need more funding. And they wound up adding an extra half a billion dollars in spending for the census more than the senate or the house originally had or more what the president more than what the president requested now we are going to spend a record 7.3 billion dollars on the census and yet the most important aspect of the census is not going to be dealt with who is a citizen and who is not a citizen but it's even worse than that we have a national emergency with Neo Confederate sanctuary jurisdictions that are thwarting the most foundational sovereignty, security, federal immigration law, and saying we are going to violate 8 USC 1373 to restrict the information flow between local law enforcement and ICE. We're going to violate 8 USC 1324, which is harboring and inducing and encouraging illegal immigration. And the Senate Republicans have nothing to say about that. There was no Emergency to address it. But the reason why I'm bringing up the census is think about this degree of severity of stolen sovereignty, how we are strangers in our own country, how the inmates are running the asylum, how this is illegal alien supremacy. You have states that are suddenly so powerful in an era where states mean nothing, and they're able to thwart federal immigration law, attract the worst gangbangers to kill Americans, and then, oh, Guess what? They're counted in the census now. Isn't that sick? The very reason why um, it was noted that the feds were to be given control over immigration was so that states don't import, uh, quote, obnoxious aliens, as Madison said, in order to juice up their numbers. Now, literally, that's what's happening. They get to violate federal law in the Constitution, basically harbor other countries' criminals, and they get counted in the census. So Prince George's County, Maryland, announced they're restricting ICE in all ways, even though just one, well, in May, they released three illegal alien MS-13 members that brutally butchered someone to death after they had already ignored an ICE detainer just a year before when these same people were picked up on murder one charges. And there's no sense of urgency. Mitch McConnell's focusing on hemp, uh, Asian carp, um, bourbon and and uh, horse racing tax breaks. There's no sense of emergency. He's concerned that, quote, the Asian carp are infesting Kentucky's waters. Well, what about other countries' criminals infesting Kentucky's land and the land in every other state? That, friends, is what is going on here today in this country and we have so many more cases we have a florida case now um another american killed on the road this wasn't an illegal alien driving a car he was driving a forklift working for a company that he shouldn't have been working for out in the open james Zakos lost his life because Ulysses mondagragon or whatever his name is illegal alien is now sitting in broward county main jail um he was caught so many other times without a license cycled in and out of Court with Spanish language interpreters. And nothing happened to him. I was on the, the phone with the governor's office today to deal with this case and say, hey, this is exactly why you need to mandate as governor that every local law enforcement, when they catch someone um, on the roads, they ask, what country are you a citizen of? Because that should be the last time that you are doing that in this country. Um, because typically you will wind up killing Americans. With DUI or other, you know, dangerous, reckless driving, that will never be the first, um, the first time this happens. So that's with that. Now that's a legal alien crime. Let's return to our general theme this week of jailbreak. So earlier this week, we had Raphael Manuel on the show from the Manhattan Institute to really delve into this myth of overincarceration, the entire premise for this criminal justice so-called reform bail reform, jailbreak reform, trial reform is really a sham. It's really a return to the pre-90s, uh pre-Giuliani era of weak on crime at a time when we are already seeing crime rates tick up as a result of already having implemented many of these so-called reform policies. One of the things Raphael mentioned that I thought was very important is that this is very localized. You can't look at crime in the aggregate because crime doesn't take place in the aggregate. And where crime is becoming a problem, you're seeing it's often in places where they're implementing this prison release uh, business and you're seeing the results. And one of those places is, believe it or not, Alabama. You probably thought I'd say San Francisco, but unfortunately in Alabama, crime is really on the rise. It has been on the rise for quite a while already reversing that 15 to 20-year positive trajectory. We're going to get to that soon. So with us today is a very special guest, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Attorney General Steve Marshall, uh, who has been the Attorney General of Alabama for the last few years. Prior to that, he was in in the Marshall County DA's office as the the DA for, for 15, 16 years there. Tremendous amount of experience as a prosecutor in Alabama. So he's really seen the full picture of reducing crime, good policies working, now crime going back up as the prison population goes down. So who better to speak to than Steve Marshall? Hey, Steve, thanks so much for joining the Conservative Review podcast today.
0: Oh, glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: And, and look, it, it is really great to have someone who is willing to speak out. You wrote an op-ed and we're going to link to here as well as put up on the screen Um, You're up in AL.com, violent crime in Alabama, enough is enough. Okay, I I deal with Congress, I deal on a federal level, and I speak to even people that would be regarded as conservative Republicans, not Soros Democrats. And I get this song and a dance of, oh man, everyone's being just locked up, we're just grabbing people for low-level crimes, no reason, Um, we need to stop that. It's all about the prison as as if prison is the problem, not crime being the problem. Yet you go out to the real world and you ask anyone, even a registered Democrat, do you think we are too tough or too weak on crime? And they'll say, dude, we are too weak on crime. We constantly see even the most violent offenders um, in my area in Maryland cycling in and out, um, robberies, carjackings. They're caught with five felonies within six months, never serve time, never are deterred. Crime is already beginning to go up as incarceration is already going down. In my state, it's gone down by 30 percent in Maryland. Um, How did this happen, even in a state like Alabama?
0: You know, it's a a great question. I can tell you that as somebody that's been a prosecutor now for over 20 years, it's one of the great uh, questions in my mind about how it is that we've suddenly begun to have a narrative far more about a defendant and far less about a victim. It's why. We wrote that op ed this week because we've had three fairly high profile cases in our state one involving a three year old little girl, another a 20 year old college student, and then one the son of a local district attorney, all who've lost their lives. And what we hear is the narrative that you've described that is completely false that our prisons are full of those who are there for marijuana possession or low level offenses, when the reality is in Alabama, over 70% of our offenders are violent offenders. They need to be incarcerated. And yet we continue to whittle away at the discretion of prosecutors and law enforcement to try to deal with public safety issues. Because if we look at many of the rights that we have in this country, the most fundamental is to live in communities that are safe. Mm. I think that we've adopted policies over the last few years, both at the state and federal level, including most recently the First Step Act. Uh, that's, that's gone against what I believe should be the appropriate policy in this country.
1: You know, I I want you to, before we get back to the state in Alabama, you mentioned the first step act and, and, and very much the focus of the show has always been a federal angle. And we spent four years, um, you know, trying to speak the truth on, on that bill, which by the way, um, you know, got worse over time and it was front end and both back end leniencies. So as someone who was both a local prosecutor and now the statewide attorney general, could you explain to people the type of individuals who graduate to the federal system? Yeah,
0: that's and graduate is the appropriate term. You're not finding low-level individuals who've never really had much contact with the criminal justice system showing up in federal court. That has typically been, for a variety of reasons, kind of the the court of last resort for local law enforcement. We identify The worst of the worst, those are the ones that are being referred into federal custody because the feds don't take all the cases, number one. They have discretion to be able to turn them down. But more importantly is their ability to be able to incarcerate individuals for at least up to 85% of the time in which they're sentenced has been a powerful tool for local law enforcement in keeping communities safe. And. You know, I was probably maybe the major issue and the only issue that I've really disagreed with this administration uh, is pushing back because you've identified it. It was both back end and front end relief on individuals with violent offenses, with gun crimes histories that were menaces to communities that were suddenly deemed to be uh, safe to be released, that they really were there for bad reasons or they were there for too long. And we've already seen the results. We've seen violent crime committed by those released. And I think we've seen that to be bad policy.
1: Exactly. I mean, you're referring, obviously, to Joel Francisco in Providence, Rhode Island. He was a Latin Kings member, big uh, gangbanger who um, was arrested for attempted murder. He put a gun to someone's head in 1997, pled no contest. um, And then he was hit on the three strikes and you're out, drug charges. But again, so many that the feds hit up on drug charges, they're often MS-13 Latin Kings um they're picked up on murder charges but this is how we ultimately nail them and um and I think we forget about that I thought it was fascinating you used the word that I love pendulum uh you know when you're when you're driving on the road well you have to know which guardrail you're about to smack into and and you turn away from it um we're going to put up here on the screen and I know I sent this to your office and it's it's a chart I made on a federal level and you could literally see it crime was up incarceration was down pursuant to reagan's policies starting in the 90s we saw the effect prison population went up at a federal level the national murder rate which is what that chart tracks plummeted guess what you see a little bit of a hockey stick as criminal justice reform you know they talk about the hockey stick with global warming well you know as as you see the prison population really plummet about 20 percent on a federal level very precipitous and, and, and the policies that are in place now will really accelerate that. It's, it's starting to go back up. 2015 is the benchmark year. Um, 2018, it did turn down, but I will eat my hat if it doesn't go up in 2019, which we are almost done with. Um, the National Crime Victimization Sur- Survey of BJS does show more victims even in 2018. So that's an interesting point there. But here I want to I turn to, on the screen, Alabama. I find fascinating. Um, 2009 is the benchmark for peak incarceration. So what happened there was incarceration went down, not just in the rate, population went up a little bit of the state, the raw numbers down 28.5% since 2009 to 2018. What happened? Violent crimes up 23% according to Uniform Crime Statistics, um, Murder is up 37%, aggravated assault, 56%. And even with, because of just better technology, um, other issues that property crime continues to go down, vehicle theft is up 28% just since 2014, according to Uniform Crime. What is wrong with Alabama?
0: Yeah, not rocket science, is it? You know, truly, we made reforms that were pushed by the Pew Foundation and others back in 2011 over the objections of law enforcement and prosecutors as well as judges that took great discretion away from, from local officials in making decisions about who should be in prison and not. And you saw the numbers, you know, over 5,000 fewer individuals in Alabama's prisons now than they were then. And again, it's not shocking you talk about that, the statistics of how violent crime has gone up. You know, we look at the aggregate, you know, both of a 10 year and a five year period, Uh, significantly more than what we saw previously, and it's why, you know, even at the federal level, one thing that I think is is significant, that that brief downtick that we've seen, I think, is is clearly as a result of Jeff Sessions coming in and saying, we're going to prosecute gun cases because those are violent offenders. And so for the first time we saw, I mean, look, Eric Holder wanted us to apologize to defendants. He wanted us to basically open the floodgates of our prisons and allow people back on our streets. Jeff Sessions said no, and I really appreciate that about General Sessions' philosophy is to liberate federal law enforcement to go back after our violent offenders. And we even saw progress of that here in Alabama when we're able to use the federal courts again and the gun uh, mandatory minimums that are there to be able to find our violent offenders off the streets. But yet you've read Alabama. I mean, we have the fifth highest uh, sort of total violent crime rate in the country, seventh highest in murders. And what we've seen of those numbers go up is our prison population has gone down, and again, I think those are connected.
1: Yeah, and those numbers included the downtick of 2018. If you go to 2016, 2017, it was much higher, and that's that's a fascinating point. I never heard anyone make. Um, you know, we we talked about you know the low crime period, and now we view it as we're trending up. Although the 2018 hiccup, again, that's for policies likely implemented by by Sessions. That are opposed by the, by the jailbreak crowd. And what I find interesting is that they use our policies as a means of saying, hey, crime's down, don't worry, let's go and reverse the very policies that achieve those results. And one of the things you, you mentioned, and I think because I, I want to talk about this, um Ania Blanchard case, the college student who was kidnapped um, and, and you know doesn't look very good in that case, but we hope she's still alive. Uh, This is in Auburn. So part of why I suspect, as you mentioned, some of these criminal justice reforms put in place by Alabama Republicans, 2011, 2015, um, is because when you're talking about people caught with drug trafficking, firearms, they're often doing the assaults, murder, robberies, but for 50 million reasons and they keep growing. It's so hard to land a conviction. They plead down or this is what we catch them on. And everyone's like, well, that's low level, but isn't it true that once you stop prosecuting those or you downgrade those, you're not just going to get more of those crimes, but even worse ones?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is a direct connection between drug trafficking and violent crime. Let's don't kid ourselves. And we see that, you know, for example, in Alabama, we continue to battle uh, the cartel on multiple fronts, both from the drug trafficking as well as violent crime. And we've seen that reflected, you know, it's, also, Dan was connected to the porous border and what it is that the cartel is able to do to capitalize on the inability of us to secure our borders, you know, in, in California and in Texas and Arizona, where you know, we had a 13-year-old little girl watch her grandmother killed and then she was beheaded because the cartel came in uh, and they were upset with the family. We've seen other individuals that have come here as part of the drug trafficking ring that have committed sexual assault. They're in this country unlawfully uh, committing violent crimes in our state, and so you know, to the extent that we somehow and other sort of try to, to, to minimize the, the impact of drug crimes on communities, they are directly related to what we're seeing in violent crimes and sexual assault. And to the extent that we somehow and other lessen the penalties there, then we're not targeting the right people.
1: You know, I wasn't going to mention this, but I, I think you you made a, a very powerful point. I'm not sure if you realized it, that, you know, a lot of people said the war on drugs didn't work. Now, sometimes... um. You need to stop doing what you're doing to realize what working and not working looks like. So there's a drug crisis and there's a drug crisis. You look on any chart, I'm sure Alabama, but I have federal data. The benchmark year is roughly 2014. That's 2014, 2015. It just, it went bonkers. The number of people getting killed, the lethality, the ubiquitous nature of the drugs, and therefore how cheap they are. On this program, we have spent hours and I've written probably 50 or so articles linking 2014 is the benchmark year for the central Americans coming in um, the growth of sanctuary cities, which harbors the criminal alien networks where you, you you would typically catch someone on drug trafficking. Well, if they're foreign national, boom, you're out of here, bust up the network here, they get released. Um, but I wonder, and I'm curious if you've seen this, even on a domestic law sense, if you start saying, you know, We're locking up too many people for for drugs, and we really create a stigma in law enforcement from the prosecutors to police, stop locking up people for drugs. And that's kind of what we've been doing in every state the last 5 to 12 years, depending on the state. Isn't it not rocket science that we now have more ubiquitous drug trafficking? Oh, I think, you know, we've
0: created a disincentive in many respects for law enforcement to feel like. Why spend the hours and the resources necessary to target some of our drug traffickers if we don't think anything's going to happen to them on the back end? And, you know, it's one of the it's been an interesting opportunity to be able to go uh, to Mexico here recently to be mm-hmm. in Sinaloa, you know, where the cartel is, is absolutely controlling uh, that particular part of the country. And, and to see you know, sort of the, the, not only the, the corruption that's there as a result of the money that's flowing in for drug trafficking. But their true connection to violent crime. And so, you know, we we obviously, and again, it's one of the reasons why I give General Sessions a great deal of credit, is that he, I think, sort of dealt with the complacency that was out there that that many Republicans just sort of embracing this philosophy that has been of the of the left for quite some time. Far left. Over prosecute and over incarcerate. Uh when we saw the results now of those changes, which is more violent criminals on the street and more violent behavior in our community.
1: That's what I just find astounding. It's one thing if we were having this discussion 2005, 2007, um, when we were at the nadir of crime, the peak of incarceration. But, I mean, we've already crisscrossed that the last decade, and we see the results, and why would you step on the gas pedal? But these guys are just getting started. One of the things they're doing that's become very cool the last few, few years in Republican states as well as Democrat ones is essentially abolishing bail, downgrading bail, or even without a statutory change, you have judges, a, a culture among the judges to really do this. So you have this case, and I want to be careful. I know it's an ongoing investigation, very high profile. on um, The disappearance of Enia Blanchard, the stepdaughter of UFC, UFC heavyweight star Walt Harris in Auburn. She, was, um, uh, she disappeared at a convenience store there. And you now have at least one arrest, Ibrahim um, Yazid of Montgomery, Alabama, and it turns out, that, I mean, he had both in Missouri and Alabama massive criminal record for very serious charges, never seemed to serve much time, um, always seemed to either get out of it or time served, suspended sentence um, throughout, you know, aggravated battery charges, drug convictions, a gun charge, um, even attempted murder charge on, on police in Montgomery. But that was thrown out by a grand jury. And then this past January. He was picked up um, on uh, two counts of kidnapping, two counts of robbery, and two counts of attempted murder when he allegedly beat two men, one elderly. One was found, quote, unconscious unresponsive, severely injured and near death. So if you would freeze frame there, I would have thought just based on my experience that a guy like that would be held without bond. He was released on two two hundred and eighty thousand bond i'm not sure how much he had to post. maybe it was ten percent or or the whole thing I'm not sure, and now he's suspected of um kidnapping uh miss Blanchard. Is this a problem now with with this weak bail and and abolished bail in Alabama?
0: We continue to fight the lawsuits in the ACLU and the Southern Poppy Law Center who basically are alleging that, that we are only incarcerating those who are the poorest of the poor. And that's really the, the way that bail works. And that's obviously not the intention, nor is that the framework that bail has set up. Uh, you know, sadly, what we hear are judges that are afraid of being sued as opposed to doing their jobs directly. You know, there's no doubt that the case that you've described, and i a little limited what I can say because it's sure. sort of pending, uh, you know, that gentleman has a significant criminal history. And, and more particularly, the most recent case, involving the 77-year-old for what appears to be very similar allegations to what is now arising from the case involving Anaya Blanchard. There was a preliminary hearing this week describing him uh, forcefully putting her into her own vehicle and driving away, Uh, and there'll be more of that case to become public before long. But it goes back to, again, that fundamental question is, how do we ensure public safety for the community? And, And that narrative Uh, has been co-opted by the left, and and to some extent, Republicans have bought in, uh, and we need to be able to readjust our focus. And again, we've seen it uh, most recently, again, with the first step back where it was embraced. And now part of the reason for the op-ed is to continue to push back against that and maybe open some eyes again to the fact that violent crime exists, is in a a swing that is not going in the right direction, uh, and we've got to be proactive in finding ways to do it. Part of which is putting the bad guys in jail and keeping them there.
1: And, and and attorney general, I mean, this is one of the things that I noted and I and I started to observe. Um, I I've I've been on a crusade against this jailbreak for about four years. Um, you know, Ed Meese, and we'll we'll put it up right here on uh, on the screen, and you can see he had an op-ed in the hill.com just a few years ago when the first step back was just a sentencing reduction, didn't have the back end. Uh, release up to a third of their sentence being released and he said whoa 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 when we talked about criminal justice we meant you know uh simplifying the duplicative um provisions in title 18 cleaning up that stuff we didn't mean letting out federal drug traffickers and 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 a lot of people from my former employer and some of these think tanks conveniently forget how that movement uh evolved and it evolved to the Soros end now but what I'm finding more and more as I go through a lot of sanctuary and criminal alien cases, and we're seeing the egregious cases where sanctuaries let out uh, child molesters and, and rapists. But putting aside the immigration status, I look at the criminal records. I'm like, holy smokes, nobody serves any time anymore. I mean, forget about even drugs and the fact that they're often doing other things. I'm talking about when they're arrested for the big four, the big four crimes, even child molesters, I'm seeing often they get put into, um, intensive sex offender probation or something, that's what they call it, or maybe a year, for every one person they could think of that might be over-incarcerated, why is nobody talking? Someone just sent me this case, Abraham Muhammad Arias in the Twin Cities. Twin Cities, by the way, St. Saint, Saint Paul is on track for the highest number of homicides on record. So not just erasing some of the gains of the last number of years, but literally going back to the 70s and 80s, Twin, Twin Cities has a big crime problem now. This guy, um, he was let out this year multiple times. He had over four dozen criminal cases dating back to 2006, aggravated robbery, burglary. Um, it resulted Most of them resulted in convictions, aggravated robbery convictions, um, domestic assault, assaulting a peace officer, obviously DWI, um, multiple thefts, motor vehicle, this guy didn't serve any time. I, w- w- am I living in a different universe than the politicians? Well, I Sometimes I wonder if we
0: all are. In the, in the, the analogous issue here that we haven't discussed is, especially at the state level, is not just when we get them in there, can we get them in there for sufficient time. It's whether or not they're being paroled early and being released back in the streets without supervision. We just fought that battle in Alabama in the last session uh, where we saw a parole board that decided that they were there to be the outlet to try to deal with prison overcrowding as opposed to having public safety be paramount. We had a tragic story of a gentleman that was a violent offender that they released early, uh, was out to a facility for three or four days, ran away, had three different law enforcement contacts, doesn't get put back into custody and killed three individuals, two elderly women and one seven-year-old little boy. Completely inexcusable. Wow. And so we saw when we sort of were diving deep into our records in Alabama that there were people with life sentences for murder, They were coming up for parole after seven, eight or nine years. That's inexcusable. And that's completely unacceptable. And hopefully we fix that in Alabama. But I don't think that's endemic just to Alabama. And it's probably reflective of what's going on in other states. So you kind of described the the first step act as a front end and a back end. And we got to make sure that we're doing both the right way. And that is ensuring those who need to be incarcerated in jail, stay in jail.
1: And, And it's really brilliant. I mean, these people are brilliant It's an amalgamation of several factors that all ensure the result of lowering the prison population. So in New York now, there is abolishing of bail while also disclosure laws, basically making grand juries now public immediately. So, gee, the guys are out in the streets. And prosecutors always tell me that one of the biggest impediments to landing convictions, I always ask, why do you always take plea bargains? No one is ever convicted on what they're what they likely did. And they say, well, witnesses are hard to get. Well, hey, you know, you let them out in the street and then you say, hey, they get to know everything. The defendant gets to know everything immediately pre-trial about them. Well, you're not going to have a lot of witnesses.
0: Right now, there's no doubt that, that there are inherent difficulties that prosecutors face to be able to do their job law enforcement in the same way when we don't see the courts uh, in many jurisdictions supporting them just to be able to aggressively enforce our laws, where we see politicians beginning to, to back away from effective policies. You know, I heard Bloomberg say his stop and frisk, he was apologizing for what was a precipitous drop in violent crime in New York as a result of freeing law enforcement to be aggressive in dealing with violent crime. You know, at some point, we got to quit apologizing for doing our jobs. And we got to make sure that we're ensuring that the public is safe and, and hopefully uh, the voices of yours and maybe some of what we did with that op ed can continue that narrative in a way it needs to be heard because the left clearly is mighty loud on this issue.
1: They're mighty loud and and, and uh, they're getting all our colleagues in this business. I mean, they're getting Republicans to support it when the public doesn't want this. I always joke around the average Democrat voter is to the right on this issue than your average Republican politician. Um, it's it's it, this is one of the most bizarre things I've experienced in my entire life. I mean, imagine if everyone you work with on the conservatives, Republicans, all of a sudden they're pro abortion. Like, hey, like, are you OK? What just happened there? And all of a sudden they're just spewing the soros talking points at a worse time than ever. The worst transnational gang crisis, the worst criminal alien crisis, the worst drug trafficking crisis. Now is not the time to step on the gas pedal. It's the time to start reversing that stuff. Um, you mentioned parole. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't know what you're seeing in Alabama, but I know in places like Chicago. So they let them out early. But then, well, why did they let them out early? Well, because the prison population has to go down. Well, the same reason you wanted to let them out, you want to keep them out. So what I'm starting to see is sometimes it's statute, but, you know, these statutory changes in these liberal or conservative legislatures. But sometimes it's in the culture up and down from the prosecutors, even depending on the area, to the um, to the judges. Where they parole officers, they so badly don't want to reincarcerate that we see really bad people picked up particularly on felony possession of guns. And I'm thinking to myself, here we have Democrats yelping about gun violence and gun control on law abiding citizens. And yet I can't find Republicans willing to throw a knockout punch at them. You very dudes who want to take away guns from law abiding citizens refuse to lock up guys arrested for aggravated felonies that are then caught with felony possession of a firearm.
0: You know, and that's clearly what we saw during the the Obama administration, where Eric Holder just backed away completely from being aggressive in those areas. And it's why I keep harping back to to some of the changes we've seen with Jeff Sessions and General Barr, I think, has been able to sort of continue that going forward. But if you want to deal with violent crime, that's one of the ways to most effectively deal with it. Those prior convicted felons who are unlawfully in possession of a firearm, most folks may say, well, gosh, what, what big deal is that? Well, they got them for a reason, and it's not because somehow or other they're going to go hunting here in Alabama during deer deer season, right? They are there to use that in aggressive ways. And by getting them off the streets before somebody else is hurt, we're effectively creating uh, situations where communities are safe.
1: Um we're, we're pretty much out of time, and I, I really thank you for, for your generous time, but I want to I go over just one more thing. I'd be remiss not to ask you about this case and just this trend in, in general um, because it's from Marshall County where I know you were a DA for many years. Um, okay, so the left wants to open up the prisons, but that's not enough. We don't evidently don't have enough of our own criminals. We need to import other countries' criminals as well. Um, we saw a case on July 18th. In Marshall County, this is Boaz Police Arrested Felipe Juan Miguel, uh, 25 years old. Um, he was arrested for ch- on, on child sex charges, inappropriately touching a child. Um, and it turns out, this was, uh, and he was under 12 years old. Obviously, they don't release the name, thankfully. And it turns out that I spoke with officials at DHS, and this guy was a poster child for the border crisis. He came in a couple months before in San Ysidro, um, around there in California. He had a kid. They thought this might be that kid, but I can't confirm that. Um, And his very ticket to the country goes to rural Alabama, very likely working for one of those chicken farms or agricultural interests. Here's my concern, and I'm wondering if you're seeing this in Marshall County and other places like that. We know we have a major gang problem, both domestic but growing transnational in urban areas. Certainly my part of the country, northeast, huge MS-13 problem. What I'm starting to see that illegal immigration is doing is ruining rural areas. That because of the ag lobby and they so badly want cheap labor, so they might work hard on those fields during the day. But sheriffs tell me, you know what, at night we got the drunk driving, we got the drug trafficking, and worse.
0: You know, I had a chance when I was DA to testify in front of the Federal Civil Rights Commission. And we were talking about the issue of illegal immigration. And one of the things I shared with them a statistic that at that time, roughly 80% of those who were committing and arrested for drug trafficking in our county were there unlawfully. And so there was a direct connection between them and those from the cartel. And so not only do we see for sort of that direct line, Uh, from the relationships in Mexico to be able to bring drugs in our community, but also we see these other offenses. And it's not just that particular case that you saw, but we also saw others that those that that, that did not have legal status uh, were part of the problem that we were dealing with from a criminal justice side. And so when I had a chance to, to go to the White House and speak on a panel not that long ago about the border, you know, I can talk about border security being an issue for Alabama because of what we see on the impact of drug trafficking, and those other offenses that are caused by people that are in this country unlawfully and that matters to us and it's why when we talk about building the wall when we talk about securing that border it's not just a california arizona texas issue it is a national issue for the very reasons that you talked about
1: wow no i mean that, that that's very powerful every state's a border state now and and it's funny you you kind of merge the two issues immigration and criminal justice because I, I was pulling my hair out when for four years we we're debating this in congress um. Oh, too many people in federal prison on drug charges. And I said, come on, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is the border. It's illegal immigration. Join with us to solve the sanctuary issue, solve the border issue, and then come back to me about the prison population. And because I mean, isn't it true that with Alabama, even you'll, you'll often pick up Americans. But that's at a secondary trafficking level. If you cut off the primary trafficking, isn't that very much driven by, by foreign nationals? Daniel,
0: yeah, you're a wise man. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> the way that the structure of those organizations work. Is it's typically those with the connection back across the border at the highest level. And then there are local people individually to help them in the distribution.
1: Wow. Well, sagacious words from Attorney General. Marshall, thanks so much for joining us. I really look forward to having you back again. Um, It is very rare to find an elected uh, Republican willing to uphold the Republican platform. So, (laughs) but, but to be fair, yeah, to be fair, everyone in Alabama, everyone in Congress did vote against that bill. Good for you in Alabama. Okay, thanks. Take care and God bless. Anyway, there you have it, folks. I mean, I wasn't even planning on getting into immigration. With the attorney general, but I think it kind of ties well into our opening because it all comes together. It's all a matter of most criminal problems are completely preventable because most criminals are repeat offenders. And if you actually lock them up and deter them and punish them, you'll deter others. And then guess what? A lot of illegal aliens are criminals. And guess what? A lot of it is around drug trafficking. And guess what? The 800 pound gorilla in the room when you're talking about drug trafficking is the border, the cartels and criminal aliens. It's that simple. So, um, you know, I'm glad I remembered that case from Marshall County and I knew he was uh, the D.A. there for a while. Um, That's the thing. And, and, you know, here Marshall County is in the northeast. It's not Montgomery or Birmingham um, or, or even Huntsville. It's it's you know mainly what you could would consider small town America rural America certainly from where I'm from I, I would consider it as such and uh, I mean what, I forgot what he said I'll have to look back I'm a thirty percent a massive amount of those he arrested they were illegal aliens I mean we are ruining our rural areas in addition to the cities imagine if we had a Republican Party that rather than joining with the left on this actually went on offense and hit the Democrats on this, implemented better policies, you know, impeachment would become moot. But if all we're going to talk about is impeachment while letting the Democrats win on these policies, I have my article out today on Oklahoma. Oklahoma has become like San Francisco. No single Republican, Democrat, presidential candidate has won a single county in that state since the year 2000 at a presidential level al gore was the last one to win a county there that means in 2004 08 2012 and 2016 four presidential elections in a row republicans swept every single county yet republicans is may as well be the soros california democrats the same way california did prop 47 they had what is it 708 or something they they passed where they retroactively downgraded theft and drug trafficking guess what you have theft and drug trafficking, and now homelessness, which ties into that. The same reason why you have it in San Francisco. And in addition to that, violent crime has gone up tremendously. I have all the statistics in today's article we'll send you. Anyway, I'm sorry for the shorter week here. and Next week certainly will be shorter. Um, again, send me your stories. I'm not going to have a chance to get to all of them, but dharwitz at blazemedia.com. You could tweet me at armconservative. Make sure to like our videos at our YouTube page, conservative review youtube page drop me a comment there um we will often see it and respond uh till next week enjoy your weekend god bless y'all stay safe and stay vigilant